Good afternoon and good evening. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day today. I know I am. I know it's been a couple of weeks since our last episode. I am back from vacation. And honestly, I had a great time. Went to see the Yankees win, only for them to lose four times and get kicked out of the World Series. Not the best time to be a Yankee fan, unless you were watching them last Tuesday, well, about two weeks ago Tuesday. Really great game, honestly. New York is still the same. Visited my great-grandmother, and honestly had an all-out time. And I spent Halloween, not Halloween day, but on a Halloween event over at Six Flags. Not gonna lie, was kind of disappointed with Six Flags, but I mean... It was so good. Roll Kingdom Couch twice, which was really great. Wish I didn't, though, because I'm going to be honest with you. As soon as I wrote it, all the other roller coasters seemed slow. Really slow. Although some were enjoyable. Did not like the Dark Knight ride, though. That was just, uh, dumb. Anyway, moving on, we're going to go ahead and get on with the show. And like always, we're going to go ahead and start with comics. And to start us off, we're going to be talking about Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man issue number one. So in this one, it's a standalone series where the artwork is actually kind of amazing. It's kind of different and it kind of looks like an oil painting, which gives it something of a personality. And given the plot of the comic, it actually comes to sway. Now, Peter is in L.A. helping to do a research project using Sonics to help with sickle cell research. He's been having really strange and lucid dreams, and it's worrying him. His lab partner comes in to revive him, and he goes to Santa Monica Pier to play chess. Before he leaves, he finds a strange rock that he recognizes but doesn't know where from. He begins to dream while playing chess, and after catching a bus, he swings home, but not before webbing up a bear that began to attack some children. He goes to a friend's house where he's crashing and they go out and they eat. After that, he swings around L.A. and dreams again and ends up on a football field where these guards come and turn into monsters. Peter, not knowing if he's dreaming or not, runs away, which is kind of smart. And everything around him begins to change and turn into monsters. He only dodges and leaves just in case he's hallucinating and doesn't want to hurt anybody. He ends up in the lab again where he looks at his co-worker and she states that she didn't know that he was coming in. And then a demon bear, similar to the one he webbed up, pops out of nowhere and begins to attack. Now this is a very interesting comic, especially since it seems like either something supernatural is happening to Peter Parker or he's beginning to lose his mind. Which it's probably the latter where supernatural stuff is happening. Now this is kind of cool because this may be able to show other supernatural heroes that may come into play. One of my favorites is Ghost Rider. Maybe Brother Voodoo will be able to come in or maybe Wong. The list amount of supernatural characters in the uh, DC, in Marvel, is a lot. And I really hope it's not another, hey look it's Doctor Strange. Because other characters definitely deserve the love too. And like I said before, it's a very interesting issue, and I honestly can't wait to read the next one. Now, next up is Alien 2022, issue number one. Now, you're wondering why I listed the year. It's because Marvel has done another Alien issue, and I guess they wanted to make sure, hey, this is the latest one, since this one is technically issue number one. Now, in this comic issue, a group of people began to evacuate a planet called Tobler 9. Many are running away and are afraid, and... For probably good reason considering this is an alien book. A group of soldiers say that the train is full and if anyone tries to board, they will be shot. 
And all of a sudden, an alien comes down from above and basically kills them all and surround the survivors. And if you guys have read any of the alien comic books or watched the movies, you know that these guys are probably going to be infected. Now, next, we see a group of people in a different planet living out their life. It's apparent from their activities that they aren't human. A group of soldiers attack with non-lethal weapons, and it is revealed that all the people who was on the planet are synthetics. Basically, androids. Uh, the synthetics kill all the soldiers, well, not all of them, and take out some of the rest. They determine where their base is and go for it. Now, while there, they meet a general they are familiar with, and he talks about a nuclear meltdown happening on a planet where they grow a lot of their food for 25 colonies on 25 different planets. They say that if this uh, planet goes nuclear and all the food is contaminated, that many, many people will starve. And that an experiment that can reduce radiation is in located on Tobler number 9. He states that he knows that there is some mistrust between them since the synthetics have been betrayed by the government before. He says that if they help out, that they will make all synthetics, or any synthetics who want it, full citizenship if they do this. He says what they're looking for is basically an egg. So... Personally, I don't know if he is pulling their leg about this nuclear meltdown to get the alien egg for, of course, the government and Whalen, or they have experimented with the alien egg where it's more than just a regular alien. Even though, or either way, it's going to be interesting, and I can't wait. I have read a lot of the alien comics before, and a lot of them are actually pretty good, and I'm excited for this. Now, one thing that's kind of interesting is that in the comics... Usually, very usually, aliens don't recognize synthetics. And this could either be a good thing, a bad thing, or the aliens will adapt where they're able to hunt synthetics. Usually, they don't really care for them because, I mean, they're non-viable. And if I remember correctly, the aliens usually hunt via heat, something similar to the Predator, but in a different way. I'm basing this off the video game uh, I played about 10, 15 years ago, Alien vs. Predator. Great and very underrated game, but kind of shows exactly how uh, aliens hunt. Now, this is seems to be like it's going to be a great series, and I can't wait for the next issue, which is already out, but I'm going to be talking about that one next week. Now, moving on, we're going to be talking about AXE issue number 6. This is supposedly the last issue of this event. Now, we find that the heroes are still inside the Celestial and has found their way into the core. Captain America and the rest of the heroes that are outside transport those on Earth to the Eternal Planet and to the Eternal City. Now, many do not make it because a lot of them either do not want to take the leap of faith or die trying to help others trying to escape. Now, while in the core, Jean prepares to destroy the core but is stopped by Ajax, who claims that they are still being tested and need to convince the Celestial that it is wrong. Outside the Eternal notice, not the Eternal, the Celestial notices that the people have seemingly escaped his judgment in the destruction of Earth, so he teleports to where the Eternals live. Now, once he teleports, everybody begins to fight. They unleash another hex that is halfway made to distract the, the Celestial. Jean, tired of waiting, gets Sinister to attack Ajax, and she goes in for the kill, but is stopped by the core, and says that they all failed the test. 
the celestial says that they all fail and everyone tries to convince it that it is wrong to do this. Jean sees it as a child, a lost child on its way, and Tony kind of tries to convince it with logic because in itself, it's like Tony Stark. Now, Cersei gets tired of everyone talking, not tired, but basically she does something that the Celestial basically criticized her for. She gets the machine to reach out to all the people, and she confesses how the Eternals are able to live so long. She asks them to judge her, and when she does that, the Celestial actually kills her with, supposedly, this is comic, so that's why I say supposedly, no chance of being resurrected. Ajax then talks to the Celestial and they actually get through. The Celestial is judged and fails. It decides to combine with Ajax to turn Ajax into a Celestial that combines both her and it together. She begins to bring back almost everybody who died in the event. In the aftermath, the Eternals and the X-Men have a treaty and now everybody hates the Eternals. Now, whether or not everybody still hates the X-Men, different story, but maybe not. Everyone says they have to change and rebuild. Ajax, now with the cosmic power, says that humanity is still being judged every day and needs to do better. And the mutants allow the humans to be resurrected, although a certain few through their uh, charity, which is actually cool. Honestly, I wish they would have been explored with how the mutants lied. Maybe it wasn't a comic that I didn't read, but it kind of felt underwhelming with that revelation, especially the other revelation as well. Uh, the next issue in this series is going to be the aftermath called Omega. No idea what is going to be talked about in that series or that issue and how it may lead to other events coming up. But honestly, this event became very anticlimactic with the uh, with this whole thing of introducing the Celestial, of being judged. Honestly, if this was a fallout war between the Eternals and the X-Men, I think that would have been a lot better and we would have seen some cool action scenes. But I mean, it's okay. This event was okay. It turned into a whole thing. And I mean, I'll say this. It was honestly better than the Inhumans versus the X-Men. God. Because that event sucked so badly. But we'll see what happens and we will see what the results of this event is. Next, we're going to be talking about DC and Deceased of the War of the Undead Gods, issue number three. Now, it starts off with a hero I honestly did not expect and haven't seen in a long time. Adam Strange. Uh, it was really cool to see a forgotten hero, and I like how Tom Taylor kind of shows heroes that haven't really been given a lot of love lately in these comics, and he's able to do so because of, hey, this doesn't connect to anything else, and we can just throw in some heroes no one has seen in a while. Now, he uh, is transported back to Earth via the Zeta Beam. Now, for those of you who don't know, he was transported to a planet, which honestly I cannot remember right now, via a random Zeta Beam, and he gets transported back from time to time, but always finds his way back. Uh, he basically helps out the planet with their war on Thanagar, and is a very prominent hero on that planet. I think one of the only ones, too. Anyway, uh, when he's teleported back to Earth, um, he doesn't realize that there's an infection going around, and it's about two months or a month prior to the cure, so he sets his jetpack to go to the next Zeta Beam location so he can return back, but encounters an infected Wonder Woman. 
He gets transported back to the planet, but he is infected, and the infection begins to spread on Thanagar and some of the other planets as well. Now, during this, still in space, Lobo's at a bar doing Lobo stuff, and a Thanagarian warship comes, and the infected come and start attacking people. Lobo gets involved because they attacked his bartender, and he said, and I quote, the man was still pouring me drinks. So he begins to attack. He gets scratched, but like the unkillables have shown, people with a healing factor do not get infected or do not stay infected. Lobo's uh, healing factor, being as godly as it is, means that he doesn't even have to worry about the infection. He kills all the Thanagarian infected people and basically gets recruited to save the universe. Of course, via a price. Anyway, uh, back on Earth... Everyone has a funeral for Diana because, of course, if you remember, she was killed uh, via Black Canary's attack when she attacked him with the Kryptonite sword. Now, while they're wishing her a farewell, the funeral is crashed by Ares, the god of war, who warns them of an upcoming war. When they state that they have already fought a war, uh, Ares says that that wasn't a war, it was more of a massacre, and I gotta say, ouch. Now, uh, he says that this has happened before, and it's recorded in the history book. Uh, Green Arrow asks, how did they beat them before? And Ares says, they didn't. They lost, but that context is lost to in the universe that this happened. Uh, the Green Lanterns get a report of a universal threat, and Ares informs them that it has begun, and that when Darkseid merged the anti-life equation with death, he caught the eye of something much older. The best part about this is when he calls Darkseid a child, especially when it comes to what's coming. So basically, he says that Erebos, or Erebos, I don't know how you pronounce this guy's name, is coming. Now, what is especially interesting about this monster or entity is it's never seen or has never been shown in comics before, which is kind of cool. Because this is an entity of Greek mythology that is basically darkness incarnate. So for this thing to be in Greek mythology and has not shown up at all in the DC universe is impressive. Because when it comes to like Greek mythology, I mean, you have Diana Prince with all the Greek gods, all the Greek goddesses, all these entities showing up. And Tom Taylor has found one of the biggest most evil entities in Greek mythology, and it hasn't been used. One That is honestly something that's awesome. It's something that you don't really see anymore, and for this to be something, especially a popular mythology, that has been overlooked, I gotta give Tom Taylor props. I'm very excited to see the threat Erebus has, is going to show. And one thing that uh, I'll say is the fact that Ares is calling Darkseid a child is funny. Like, honestly, it's hilarious. And I wish that main universe Ares does that to main universe Darkseid. Or whichever avatar Darkseid uh, uses. Now, while this comic was slow in some parts, this obviously was a stepping stone comic. Which is putting a lot of pieces in place... To set up what is going to be coming and with the next one talking about an arm, the undead armada, we're going to be seeing a lot of fights. Now, when it came to Erebos, I actually had to look him up and I was talking to some of my other comic book readers and they had to look him up too because they were like, who the heck is this dude? 
And when we saw this was actually a Greek mythology person, we were like, dang. Like I said, I'm very excited to see how this guy will, like, become a threat. And I'm super excited to see what Tom Taylor has in store for us. Because when it comes to comics, Tom Taylor does not fail. Most of the time. Most of the time. Now, uh, that was it for comics in total. We're going to be moving on to TV shows. Now, the show Tales of the Jedi has come out. And it is surprisingly dark for some of the episodes. Especially when it came to the episode of Justice and some of the other ones. Where Count Dooku, you could see the decline and his loss of faith in the Jedi way. Now, this is not going to be a spoiler review, but... I gotta say, uh, showing how Count Dooku strayed from the dark side was impressive. Especially since it hasn't really been told... Well, I mean, it's been told in some books. But just seeing it in person is amazing. And uh, showing how Ahsoka kind of went from a baby to her connection through the Clone Wars and to after Order 66 were great too. Honestly, I was basically surprised... By a lot of the steps they took and how they made it dark, similar to how the Clone Wars was, which I appreciated very much. Because if this was going to be another Rebels thing, as much as I liked Rebels, the tone of Rebels was something to be desired. Now, I will say that everyone was surprised about Yaddle. Now, a lot of people know that Yaddle is the same species as Yoda... But ended up uh, perishing between episodes one and two. Uh, so one thing that I loved and a lot of people were like, oh great, Yoda was trolling us the entire time. Is Yoda does not have any weird speech patterns like Yoda. She talks normally. Which means that either Yoda is very, very unique or he's trolling us. Don't know which is which. Don't know how he was taught this speech pattern, but it's kind of funny. Like I said, it's hilarious. Now, while I wish these episodes were longer, it I honestly would love a season two talking about certain other Jedi and their way with uh, with the Force. Maybe something about Luke during, after episode uh, six, and of course before the Force Awakens. But who knows what we'll see. All I know is Dave Filoni is the man. Now, we're going to be moving on and still stick with Disney with Santa Claus. Yes. Santa Claus, the series trailer has dropped, and it's very surprisingly similar to the second movie. Uh, Because no one is believing anymore, the magic is low, so Santa Claus, Tim Allen, decides to retire, and he chooses a new successor. His chosen successor turns out to be a very bad choice, and he has to race back to the North Pole and save the magic, and the elves who will disappear without it. Now, like I said, I'm excited to see uh, Tim Allen back as uh, the Santa Claus, but again, this plot seems to have been done before but honestly i'm excited about it it's tim allen it's santa claus and we're all nostalgic anyway uh moving on we're gonna be talking about andor's episode six and seven now the heist in andor episode six was surprisingly good i was very impressed with the details in creating the culture of the planet and its people and how the empire basically scoffed at it Now, one thing I didn't expect was many people to die during the heist. Like, a good 80% died, and if it wasn't for the main officer getting a heart attack, many of them would have lived. Now, I will say this, it was kind of sad that the young kid died, considering that his heart was put into the rebellion itself, and he had a manifesto. But, honestly, you kind of saw that coming. I mean, if the dude has the manifesto, and you expect the man to die. 
Now, I will say this. The escape was really cool, especially when it came to actually flying. The details they put in for the TIE fighters were cool. The details for those meteor showering and everything else was pretty much amazing. I did enjoy that this planet was very different. It wasn't a desert planet or a forest planet again. It was definitely something different, especially when it came to the visuals. Now, uh, the next episode was very sad. Basically, Andor's mother was wanting to join the Rebel the Rebel Alliance. And knowing that she won't be able to join her son and escape because that's not the choice she has chosen, she basically kind of kicks him out but wishes him luck on his journey. Now, Andor is still kind of selfish, wanting to just run. But, of course, the irony is, is that he still gets caught and they don't know that he is Andor or he had something to do with the heist that everybody is talking about. He is sentenced to six years in prison, and from there, the show begins to build upon the politics, and especially the aftermath. The Emperor kind of takes away uh, habeas corpus, and anyone who's caught doing anything against the Empire, their sentences are increased, and they have to do more labor, they have to do more work, and that's what the Rebels wanted, for the grip to tighten so many more people can join the Rebels. Now, th- again, these were pretty good episodes. I'd give episode 6 and 8 out of 10, especially when it came to the creativity. 7 out of 10 for the next episode. It was good, but it was kind of still like, eh, kind of dragged in some parts. But again, it's building up, and we only have about 4 episodes left, so I'm excited to see what happens next. Now, next, we're going to be talking about the last two episodes of House of Dragon. But I'm not going to be doing a recap like I usually do because I've been told that everyone has seen the episode. So I'm just going to do the review. So with episode nine, I'm just going to go out and say how crazy the time reaction was from when Viserys died to when Otto locked down the freaking castle and made sure all the other heads of the houses came and swore their loyalty to the Greens. Now... One thing I found very interesting was how everybody played their role perfectly. And where you still hated everybody, including Otto. I legit wanted Otto to die. I wanted everybody to die, including Alicent. And I enjoyed the cat and mouse game that both Otto and Alicent played throughout the episode when getting back her son. Uh, it's Aegon. Thank you for a minute. I was thinking Amen, but no, that was secondborn. Anyway, uh, her son went into hiding uh, in the whorehouses and basically revealed that his average taste was um, not that great. Uh, Similar to a Bolton, if you get my drift. And he had several bastards. Now, I found it funny that um, this sniveling child became king of Westeros when he didn't want the throne. He just wanted to go away and he said to Aemon, hey... Just let me go. You can take the throne. But, of course, that did not happen. And Alicent got to her son before her father did. Now, it's crazy that a lot of people ended up uh, dying this episode. Especially when it came to uh, those who would not swear allegiance to Otto and his heir. And when it came to the small council. And that's not talking about those who died when Renera jumped... Or Renee. Uh, the Princess of uh, Driftmark came out of the freaking ground and killed everybody. Now, one thing I'll say about this episode is I really want Sir Christian to Cole to die. Like, this episode really, really cemented that. 
And I was about to say that I was very surprised that one of the twin knights helped Renera escaped. And it was pretty cool seeing that happen, especially since this proves or this shows that he will have to go against his brother. I will say this, though. I really wanted uh, the Princess of Dripmark to kill all the high towers there. I mean, she came out of the ground. She had them all in her sights and she just decided to escape. Literally could have killed everybody there, avoided that much bloodshed, avoided the entire war, but eh, I guess it is what it is. I did find it interesting that Sir Strong stood by Allison, especially when her father came in and offered him to be his ear uh, when it came to stuff. But I guess uh, Otto didn't have the feet that Allison had because, God, that was uh, disturbing. Uh, anyway, it was a great episode and awesome setup for what is to come, especially when it came to the next episode. So in the finale, Renera finds out that her father is dead and you really felt bad for her, especially when she found out at the same time that, um, she was usurped from the throne and Aegon was given the rights or the kingliness with all the rights and passages to go with that. Because of this stress, she goes into premature birth and um, the baby dies. Uh, Damon, on the other hand, goes straight to war, especially with the thought that Asin killed her brother, his brother. Now, with the dynamics changing between uh, Alice, not Allison, Renera and Damon being pretty obvious, especially when it came to uh, her not wanting to do anything rash because of the Song of Ice and Fire and Damon saying that that's the kind of stuff that always made his brother weak. Now, when it came to Damon, he could probably see beyond the tribulations and knew what he had to do, especially when it came to uh, what to do next. Because the one thing that the High Towers had over them was Vager, who was the biggest dragon. So Damon, being Damon, went to tame the second largest dragon next to Vager. Now, I gotta say, the graphics to showing this sheer size difference between the dragons was incredible. Because Lusarius' dragon, when he went to the Baratheons to ask for help and to remind them of their uh, loyalty and their word, you saw Vager. And, wow, that was one hell of a size difference. And it's kind of sad, too, because you kind of knew what was going to happen. Because when Renera sent out Lusarius and his brother, and we were focusing on Lusarius at the Baratheons, you kind of had a feeling what was going to happen. And with Lusarius dying, wow, that was uh, something else. Especially since it kind of screwed the High Towers, because they can say that the High Towers basically drew first blood and with how Aemon was acting uh we don't know if the Baratheons are still going to be loyal to the High Towers but uh, I will say this the reaction of Renera is uh was kind of similar to how Daenerys was like she's gonna commit some war crimes and a lot of people are either gonna be happy with them or not honestly the one thing that saddens me is we have to wait two years for season two and I can't hardly wait. It's Sunday already, and I'm there like, wow, no uh, House of Dragon, no messed up episodes, no great episodes, and uh, no episodes where I'm wondering, oh my god, what can they do next? Yeah, sad. But rumors have been spurring around that Robert Dowie Jr. 
is going to be or has been casted in House of Dragon. And if he is, it would be kind of funny if he played one of the Starks. <laughs> uh, Stark twice over, right? Anyway, Elizabeth Olsen has been confirmed and is also in the cast. And I wonder what house she's going to be playing. Since Winterfell is going to be uh, a main part of the series as well as the Starks, who knows? Maybe she's going to be playing a Stark. Maybe a Martell. Who knows? Uh, it's very different and very odd to not know what's going to happen. Uh, maybe uh, maybe she's going to be playing uh, one of the Freemen. Who knows? It's going to be really cool to see how the North plays in. Especially since we don't know much about the Starks in this era. Except they're very loyal. And, of course, like always, the North remembers. Anyway, I will give this series honestly a 10 out of 10 because it deserves all the Emmys, it deserves all the praise, and by God, when season 2 hits, we're all going to be ready for something. Especially 2024, I mean, we're getting a lot of good stuff in 2024. Heck, maybe we'll get Invincible Season 2 in 2024, who knows. Anyway, uh, that's about it for... Uh, House of Dragon, we're going to be moving on to The Witcher. Now, Netflix has issued a season four for The Witcher, but that has that announcement has come with somewhat of a caveat. Henry Cavill will not be returning as Geralt in The Witcher season four. Now, after a seven-year hiatus, he is back as Superman. And, of course, since he's being back as Superman, that means that he is not going to have the same time he did before when Warner Brothers really did not know what to do with Superman, which is kind of sad. So my guess is he's going to be doing a lot more Superman projects, especially since James Gunn has been named one of the first CEOs or co-CEO of DC Films. And he probably has a lot of projects lined up for the character to come. Now, Liam Hemsworth has been uh, confirmed to take over for Henry Cavill. I will not. I will be honest here. When I first read it, I thought it read Liam Nielsen. I was like, "Wow, they're aging him up very badly." <laughs> but a uh, different actor. So, uh, Liam Hemsworth will be taking the role, and we will see if the internet is right to say that season three will be the last. Anyway, uh, that is it for TV shows. We're going to be moving on to movies. So the new Ant-Man trailer dropped, and I got to say, it's amazing how the trailer shows uh, the quantum realm, especially with the music using Yellow Brick Road by Elton John. It pairs very well with the trailer, and it seems like the movie will take on a more serious tone than what the Ant-Man series is used to. Now, Kang will be most likely the main focus of the movie, and since Kang is an Avenger-level threat, my guess is Ant-Man is either going to lose, or he's going to strike a deal with Kang the Conqueror. Now, I will say this. Showing how this movie will bridge will probably bridge to everything else to come in the MCU and connect some of the dots with the movies that had previously come and uh, Miss Marvel as well. So we knew in the previous movie that Jan had survived all those years in the Hidden Universe. Now, how she survived was never shown, but we're probably going to learn about that as well and see if she had any help with Kang the Conqueror. Now, I will say this, some of the Easter eggs in the trailer connects to Shang-Chi, especially with the Ten Rings, because in Kang City, which is shown in the trailer, you see some of the same markings, which means the 
uh, Ten Rings is most likely from the Quantum Realm and has some connection to Shang-Chi, which will probably be explored and to kind of connect everything together with magic. Now, Miss Marvel as well, her gauntlets has some of the same markings, and we know that uh, they're from a different dimension. Who knows? Maybe it's a part of the Quantum Realm and it's about to be explored. I'm honestly excited for it because it seems like Marvel is getting back into the swing of things of hinting what is to come and putting slow Easter eggs because a lot of the movies coming up will probably deal with what's going to either come or what's going to happen. Because besides, of course, Guardians of Galaxy 3 with Adam Warlock, you're probably going to see Kang pop up a lot more, especially since we're getting Loki Season 2. And he's supposed to play a big part in that as well. I'm just excited for Marvel to actually get serious now because as much as I do like comedy, uh, yeah, She-Hulk has kind of wore me out with that one. Anyway, uh, moving on, we're going to be talking about the new special for Guardians of the Galaxy, the Christmas special. The trailer has been released and it actually seems like it's going to be a fun one, especially with Drax and the rest of the Guardians trying to cheer up Peter since he's been down uh, with uh, the past Gamora coming out and disappearing and him not knowing what's going to happen, especially with this new Gamora. They plan to go to Earth and as a gift, they try to kidnap Kevin Bacon. This already looks like it's going to be fun. It hasn't been revealed how long this special is going to be, but I hope it's definitely more than an hour. Like I said, it looks like it's going to be a fun time, and I love James Gunn's uh, project, so it's probably going to be amazing. Anyway, moving on, we're going to be talking about Creed 3. The trailer has dropped, and it looks amazing. Now, I don't know if this is tradition for any projects within the Rocky universe, but like Stallone before him, Michael B. Jordan will be directing the upcoming third movie of the franchise, and we'll be facing off against a character named Damon, who is someone from his past out for blood. Something happens which causes Creed to face off against his friend, and it the story actually looks pretty cool. Now, uh, the character, a lot of people have been showing this like, hey, it's going to be Killmonger versus Kang, because the same actor who plays Kang is going to be playing the villain in Creed 3. I'm excited for it. I can't wait to see where they go, and I'm always a big Rocky slash Creed fan. Uh, next, we're going to be moving on and talking about the spoiler review of Halloween Ends. Okay, I'm just going to be honest with this. I don't understand the logic with the film deciding to focus the last film of this series on a new character, especially one named Corey. Now, I was very disappointed about how much they built the hype around Michael Myers, being this embodiment of evil, being this immortal entity, and him winding up as an old kook in the sewer, weak and old. It, I, I don't know what the writers were smoking. It's like they forgot and decided, you know what, screw it, we're just going to write a movie. And the film itself took forever to even begin killing, which seemed to be odd considering this was the third movie in the franchise. They didn't need to build up to anything. It's Michael Myers. Just have him start slashing. And it seemed to drag on for a long time. Now, I will say this. It was interesting for the film to start with Corey accidentally killing a kid. But, I mean, besides that spark of interest, nothing really becomes of the character. I mean, he's bullied by freaking band geeks. Really? And I will say this. I did enjoy with Laurie helping him out, especially when it came to slashing the tires. I actually enjoyed that. That was actually pretty fun. But 
it's weird how the characters do in 180 from helping to hating the character. And I was utterly confused when Michael grabbed Corey and looked into his eye. I thought Michael had gained supernatural powers like uh, Jason Voorhees did when it came to uh, Jason Lives, when like, transferring his soul. I thought that was happening, but apparently not. Uh, he was basically, uh, I guess, saw the same darkness that was within him. And, I mean, yay. I will say this, there was a pretty cool killing scene with both Corey and Michael working together. Uh, one thing I did find odd was how Allison basically fell for Corey for some reason after he admitted to killing a dude. And he starts to drift towards the dark side, but she keeps trying to be with him and falls in love at first sight. And it's really, really unbelievable and gets annoying real quick. Now, I will say this. For, uh, I guess, they wanted to or had an idea for him to take over the role of Michael Myers showing, hey, I'm the new Michael Myers or whatever. I guess cool, but it doesn't really come to anything considering that he kills himself in the movie. Saying if no one can have Allison, if he can't have Allison, no one will. But I mean, killing yourself kind of defeats that purpose, doesn't it? And the one thing I really hated about this movie was how easily he was able to wrestle the mask from freaking Michael Myers. Like, do you really, really want to diminish Michael Myers? Have a 20-something-year-old skinny kid who got beat up by band geeks take away his mask. Yeah, that's, um, cool stuff. Anyway, uh, the, my, the movie ends with Michael, an old, withered man getting beat up by a grandmother, which is Laurie Strode. And it just, it diminishes everything. And it's just really, really bad. I'm sorry. I don't know what the hell this happened with the mess of a movie this was. And honestly, Michael Myers deserved better and just being shoehorned into his last movie. Uh, so, uh, like I said before, the rights of the movies go back to one of the producers, so we don't know if the next series will be something new, or it will be revealed, hey, Michael Myers is an undead immortal that will come back from the dead no matter how many times you actually chop him up. It's horror movies at this point. I'm just hoping anything's better than the last movie. I mean, it could possibly get worse, but that takes skill in its own right. Anyway, we're going to be moving on, and like I said before, Henry Cavall will be returning as Superman, and I think that's pretty cool. It's already announced that they're working on a Superman project, so most likely Superman 2, and it's going to be interesting to see who will be playing Lex Luthor. Jesse Eisenberg may be coming back for Lex Luthor, although it'll be interesting considering it's been almost 10 years, or... I mean, six, seven years, if we want to count Justice League, since he played the titular role. Who knows? But I hope that they make a better movie. And who knows? Maybe they'll get Metallo. We haven't seen him in a movie. Or Parasite. Or did they do Parasite? Honestly, uh, Superman has a bunch of villains, which can do some good. And it connect, and can it connect to other heroes and kind of show the bigger world of the DC Universe. I honestly can't wait, and it's good to see Henry Cavill back as Superman again. Now, as I said before, James Gunn is now officially the co-CEO of DC Film Studios. It's really great to finally see some direction being put in the DC movies. Now, as much as I love James Gunn and um, him having creative control, I would really, really like a window or kind of like a timeline for what is connected, what's not connected, 
it'd be nice uh, if James Gunn can do that because uh, Black Adam kind of confuses me a bit in that aspect. Anyway, moving on, um, it's kind of interesting how uh, in the time of Halloween, sometimes you see movies that pop up that you never thought you'd see. One of them is a franchise that apparently can never die, no matter how much it tries, uh, which is Puppet Master. Another one is releasing, and it's called Doctor Death. Doctor being spelled D-O-K-T-O-R, and it's set to release later this year. I honestly never got the hype of the Puppet Master films. I watched the first two and uh, kind of find them boring. Yeah, kind of disappointing with that one. Anyway, uh, moving on, a new Silent Hill movie is coming out called Return to Silent Hill, and it will be based on the second game, which is regarded as the best Silent Hill game ever. I'm very excited to see how this will go and uh, how this movie will be, because um, with the lack of goodness coming from the same company that owns the same franchise like the Resident Evil films, it has a good chance of being good. I mean, I'm hoping that's the case. But who knows what will go. But I'm excited to see Silent Hill back from the dead. Anyway, uh, that's it for my movies. We're going to be moving on to video games. Now, the trailer for Resident Evil 4 has released and it looks amazing. The story seems to be about the same and it's revealed that the length of the game has not increased since the original. Which isn't surprising considering that this is a remake and I doubt they want to add too much. They're adding some things here and there. And some connections to the previous games, but I know they don't want to stray too far. But I'm, I am honestly never got the chance to play Resident Evil 4 and am excited for the experience. I'm not going to be uh, going back like many others to replay the original game. Because I want to look at this with a fresh pair of eyes. Again, I'm excited for it and it seems like uh, Capcom has a lot going for them. Uh, moving on, we're going to be talking about other Resident Evil 8 expansion talking about Rose Winter. Now, I have yet to play the expansion, and so far from what I heard, the reviews are good, and I honestly hope that the game itself is just as good as the uh, main game, because I love Resident Evil 8. It was really scary. Honestly, I'll probably play Resident Evil uh, expansion tomorrow or tonight, kind of leading into tomorrow, since tomorrow is Halloween. Excited? Can't wait. And we're going to go ahead and can't wait for another game that has yet to have a full game release in over a decade. And the last time we heard of a game coming out for this game, or game series, was eight years ago. And it has been had eight years of silence, which is the new Silent Hill games. Silent Hill franchise has been quiet for so long that everyone thought it was dead. The only... Uh, residents that we've seen from the series were gambling, uh, gambling casino games and stuff like that. So instead of getting no Silent Hill games, we are getting four new Silent Hill projects. One will be a remake of two. Another one will be a uh, one set in Japan. I forgot. Uh, I I forgot what the others will be. I think one of them is an interactive experience, which seems to be pretty cool. And the other one is. Um, I forgot what the other one is. Anyway, uh, oh, a remake of 2. So that should be pretty fun. I mean, Resident Evil 2, like I said before, is regarded as the best Silent Hill. Why did I say Resident Evil 2? (laughs) For some reason, I'm getting these two confused. Anyway, Silent Hill 2 is regarded as one of the best games out there in the series. 
So I'm actually looking forward to seeing what they have and how they can improve with the graphics. Now, the other Silent Hill project will be called Silent Hill F and will be taking place in Japan in the 1960s and is written by a guy named Ryushikishi07 and he is going to be the writer for this game and from what I've been told he is kind of like a horror writing genius in Japan. I'm not really familiar with Japanese horror games but I'll take their word for it. The graphics and the settings seem interesting enough, especially since if it's revealed that Silent Hill doesn't have a permanent residence, that it's not tied down just to one location and can be at several places at once and take influence from the culture where it's coming from. Seems like it's going to be great. I honestly can't wait. The next project is going to be called Silent Hill Townfall. It's going to be a... um, interesting interactive experience with an independent developer called No Code Studios who made stories untold and observation. I'm excited to see how this goes especially with the trailer not really giving anything. Now this game looks like it's going to be in early development so it could be another two three years before we see it but again it's Silent Hill and I'm excited for it. The next one is called Silent Hill Ascension and this will be an interactive game on streaming services. It's going to be a brand new story with brand new characters whose fates are determined to the hands of the audience. I'm actually excited about this. I love games like this and I'll be making sure to play with an audience so it can give more of uh, fun to the playing this story, especially if I make the audience, hey, I'm going to play the game. You guys choose the story. Probably do it with my family members. Probably. Anyway, uh, the next, uh, that's it for the Silent Hills. Uh, Brawlhalla, a game that I'm surprised is still going, has added Simon Belmont and Alucard to their roster. It's always cool how Brawlhalla has so many different characters and is still running strong. Honestly, I tried to get into it once, never really got into it, but I mean, to each their own. And I'm glad that it's uh, still going, especially with uh, characters from... Oh my god, what I forgot where they're from. Um... Okay, I completely forgot, and I know it will come to me afterwards. Wow, I am really bad at those game franchises. Anyway, a new Resident Evil game is going to be releasing called Resident Evil Reverse. And it looks to be okay. I mean, the graphics isn't really something to praise about. It kind of looks like old gen. It's going to be another multiplayer game, and it's like many fans before me knows when it comes to Resident Evil and multiplayer games, they don't really match. I mean, like I said, I'll play it since it comes free with the version of Resident Evil 8 I got, but hopefully it's good. I'm praying that it's good because if it's going to cost money, I'm honestly not going to play it. I've played too much for games, and if I have to pay any more, I'm good. I have legitly God of War coming out in about another week, and I'm excited for that one. Anyway, uh, another thing that's going to be coming is... uh, Cult of the Lambs. For some reason, I wanted to say Silence. Uh, If you have finished Cult of the Lambs, there is now a limited time event called Blood Moon Festival where you can get your formal cult members back and have them as wandering spirits where you can get new followers, forms, and do other cool stuff. I had a friend who played this and absolutely loved it. So for them to have something for those who have finished the game seems like a cool experience. Anyway, another game going along with Halloween is coming out called Paranormal Tales. 
and the game trailer or teaser looked amazing. It kind of combines the Blair Witch Project with Paranormal Activities with Unreal Engine 5. And it kind of looks like you're using a recorder to walk around. And it looked real enough. They had a spirit in the trailer and it crawling. It looked really creepy. And honestly, it kind of scared me a little bit. The details look cool and it's going to be releasing on Steam. I kept thinking to myself every time I saw the trailer, wow, can you imagine if this thing was on VR? And if it does come out to VR, Godspeed, Godspeed. Like I said, going to be on Steam and is on Wishlist now. Now, uh, next, we're going to be talking about Bayonetta 3 and how it will deal with aliens traversing the multiverse and killing and taking anything and everything it wants. Now, apparently, in another universe, it had killed Bayonetta in their world, and it's time for this Bayonetta to defeat her and kick the alien's butt. I know a lot. this game has gotten a little controversy with the voice actress for the English dub calling for a boycott of the game since she was offered very little for her work. Uh, a bunch of discussions have come up with that, asking if voice actors are underappreciated and underpaid. I'll leave the opinion to you guys. Please let me know what you guys think. Moving on, we're going to be talking about a very, very disappointing game, Gotham Knights. Wow. I gotta say, I was very disappointed in this game. Compared to the Arkham series, which is kind of unfair. I mean, the Arkham series was made by a fantastic studio. And honestly, Montreal is a great game studio that gave us the underrated game as... uh, Arkham Origins, but I have no idea what happened. For a game series that has come out almost 10 years ago with Arkham City, Arkham Asylum, being compared to Gotham Knights and showing that there is more detail in those Arkham games that is in Gotham Knights is pretty sad. Now, the game itself plays like it should be a live service game and has all the characteristics of one, but it seems at the last minute they changed it because of how badly the Avengers game did, which tracks since the game has been delayed several times. And the one thing I really don't like about this game is how grindy the game is, especially when you play as one character, you get to move around, do your special moves, you want to switch characters, you switch, and you got to do everything over again just to unlock some of the moveset. One thing I really hate is the grappling in the game. It's slower than it is in the Arkham series. They don't have a boost and it doesn't seem to have any weight to them. One thing also is the abilities kind of seem boring, which is kind of sad. And when it comes to some of the uh, vehicles in the game, nothing compares to the Batmobile in Arkham Knight. I mean, when it came to the Batmobile in Arkham Knight, the graphics... The oomph, the coolness of being able to jump in there, especially when you're gliding down, was amazing. Especially when it came to the transition. When it came to Arkham Knights, the motorcycle summoned... Oh, it's there. It's like nothing special. It's okay. doesn't really have like a big weapons or like, oh my god, this is a like something that Batman has created. It's like a regular old motorcycle. Another complaint that I had is the graphics itself. They seem like a huge downgrade, especially since they locked the graphics at 30 FPS. And for some godforsaken reason, they thought this was a good idea. Which is weird, because even though they lock it at 30, it still has frame rate drops. 
it's on new gen consoles and on PC. Why would you lock the graphics and lock ray tracing? Allow people to play on a higher resolution. Allow people to turn off ray tracing. It makes no sense. And you know what? You know what I think it is? I think it's because there is some background uh, scuffle happening with the gaming uh, studio itself. It, it just, I don't know. It seems like that's what was happening when it came to making this game. Another thing was, hey, they built up this thing of who killed Batman? The mystery. Was it the Court of Owls? Was it Clayface? Was it this? Beginning of the game? You know what? They tell you. They show you who, who killed Batman. It was freaking, okay, spoilers right now. Skip in five seconds. Ra's al Ghul. And you know what? It spoiled everything else to come, especially with who the real villains was. It's like you're introducing Ra's al Ghul as the villain, and you don't expect the League of Shadows to play a big part of your game. Like, really? You see Ra's al Ghul or Talia al Ghul, you know for a fact that the League of Shadows is playing a role. And honestly, the combat is not that great, especially when it compared. I, I get it. I get it. You can't keep comparing it to the Arkham series, but I'm sorry, I have to, because we should not settle for less. And this is an this is a studio who's experienced with Batman games. They made Batman Arkham Origins, which had a great story. How the multiplayer was fun. I remember as a villain or uh, looking up always because I'm like, oh. I'm facing off against Batman. I have to look up because he's going to appear from the freaking sky. And it was fun. Honestly, I'm going to give this game a 4 out of 10. And I really hope the studio gets better. And hope that Rocksteady hasn't lost their touch too when it comes to their upcoming game. Which is uh, Suicide Squad Kills the Justice League. I'm excited for that. And I really hope they still have their skills and their touch because good god Warner Brothers Montreal disappointment anyway moving on we're gonna be moving on to nerd theories and honestly uh when it comes to this theory I think it has some merit so I think that DC is foregoing any connection or status quo from the Snyderverse and is going to move forward with the this new world already filled with different heroes and villains. Now, we're going to get some origin stories for some of the heroes, but this will probably be for heroes we never heard of, because honestly, everybody knows about Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, and The Flash. Now, this will be an interesting move, and seeing what is actually relevant from the actual Snyderverse. Um, so, so far, we know that uh, the Suicide Squad is canon in this new universe, I mean, especially with James Gunn being the C, uh, co-CEO, because Amanda Waller showed up in Black Adam. Another thing is that Superman shows up in Black Adam, and it already is established that the JSA is in this universe, which isn't a proven fact in the previous films before. Before, it's like, hey, let's form this new thing, a Justice League, where we have these heroes and uh, come together and do this. Because that was the threat they were facing when it came to Darkseid. That's why Batman had a hard time and was focusing on these individuals. Because he didn't know of any other heroes. If the JSA is established in this universe, that means that didn't happen. And we have to think about what is going to be next when it comes to the DC Universe. 
Now, I will say this. This probably shows that the Justice League and the Justice League, not just, oh my God, I can't speak today. The Justice League and the Justice Society is a real thing here. And I don't know what the actual timeline is. Like I said before, I would love if James Gunn can show us or release one so we know, okay, this is what we're going to take from the Snyderverse. This is what we're throwing out. So on and so forth. Can't wait to see it, and hopefully we get it soon. Uh, Anyway, that's it for Nerd Theories. We're going to be talking about current events. Now, for those of you who don't know, Elon Musk has officially bought Twitter and has fired the CEO and CFO. Now, given that they actually sued him into buying Twitter after he tried to back out of it, I saw it coming. Uh, I mean, both CEO and CFO probably got some severance package to go quietly or something, or without much hindrance. It's going to be interesting to see what this new age of Twitter shows us, especially with people like Kanye already being unbanned from the site. And you know what? It's Kanye being unbanned or banned. It doesn't matter. The dude's still going to probably say something outrageous. But, I mean, new age of Twitter, people. And it should be interesting to see who else gets unbanned. Uh, anyway, that's it for current events, um, and also that's we that's it for this week's episode. I hope you guys have a blessed day, have a happy, happy Halloween, and I'll see you guys next week. All right, sayonara, see you later, and have a blessed day.